show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. Now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we are coming to you on August 30th, Wednesday, August 30th. And if you are following the calendar, you know what that means. We are nearly 24 hours away from show day. Yes, that's right. Tomorrow, if you are listening to it on Wednesday the 30th, tomorrow is the first show of the tour in St. Paul, Minnesota. And to say that we're excited for it is clearly an understatement. We've been waiting for this all year since the tour ended in 2022 last September. We got a full year of no shows to work with, but now we're finally back on the road. And guess what? We're going to talk about a great show from Birmingham, Alabama in 1998 today. So we got a lot going I don't think we need to tee up anything else. So Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. That's a mouthful right there, huh? (laughs) No, we're back in the South. This is a show that happened right after my first show. So a lot of good memories around this time. Yeah, it's rare that we do like the Deep South. There aren't a lot of shows in the Deep South. And I guess like I wouldn't consider Georgia the Deep South. Like I think a Deep South, I think Alabama, Mississippi, like that kind of area Tennessee, a little bit Arkansas, Tennessee sure yeah I mean we've done Tennessee before yeah, Arkansas they, definitely they've never played in Mississippi I don't think nope yeah. nope Mississippi's one of the five or six yeah I, I think can't if, if, remember if there was a show in in Georgia like the one time they played Athens but it's college town but if they had played somewhere random like in another town in Georgia that would probably be considered the deep south but Atlanta is it's almost like a separate thing it's so big Right. Yeah. No, that's that's a full city. As as long as it has like professional sports, then I consider that to be a big city in America, essentially. I know that there are some 
that really aren't. But why talk about that and digress? We got a lot more to talk about here, and we'll get back into Alabama and talking about the South. But I think before we even get into St. Paul, I want to get this story out of the way because it is referring back to last week's episode from Pittsburgh, and we got a nice message from Kyle Blythin. Now, believe it or not, Kyle had a significant role in this show that you and I didn't know about before a couple of days ago. So why don't I share this all with you guys? Great podcast, such good memories. On the podcast, you guys said that after they played No Way, the person with the t-shirt got the t-shirt back. Unfortunately not. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I wore No Way shirts. Mine had No on the front and Way on the back, and hers had Way on the front and No on the back. Anyway, we took them off and had other shirts on underneath before Ed came out for the encore and threw them up as he walked out. After the song, Ed attempted to throw one of the shirts to us. Some others helpfully pointed towards us, but another fan intercepted the throw and refused to give it back. We were annoyed at the time, but you move on with your life. So there you go. We just met the people responsible for the live debut of No Way. Very nice. If it wasn't for them, then they may have never have played it. Maybe not even in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. Well, sorry you didn't get your shirt back, Kyle. That's that's a bummer. Hey, if you're going to any of the shows, we'll do a repeat. I'll get like 50 people to write no in the way on the back. I think everybody <laughs> would participate in that. I think that would be really cool. Or maybe, you know what? Since Jason really wants to get, get right played in Chicago, or I think he meant anywhere, but... You know, Chicago will be the big deal. Maybe we all just do get right shirts. What you need to do is get everybody on the rail (laughs) to put one word of the lyrics on their shirt at rate going like left to right. So that when they look up, it's just the lyrics are right there for him. He doesn't even have to like, he doesn't have to worry about it. He can just read the shirts. (laughs) Well, that's certainly an idea. I Uh, want or to lay down. Yeah. Uh, Searching till sundown. Like, yeah, do the whole thing. It would have to be really, really well coordinated. I'm not sure that a lot of the rail people in front would be cool with that. But you know what? If if it were ever to happen, then I guess I don't know. Like if if things were coordinated better, if like yeah, it's just bring signs. Just bring signs. That's that's all you need. So now. People will be bringing signs to St. Paul. They'll be bringing signs to Chicago. They'll be bringing signs to Texas and Indian all over the place. But I want to get into what may or may not happen. Now, last week I put out a blog on the website kind of focusing on some questions and some predictions that you guys had. And I wanted to kind of think kind of critically for myself and for you guys to kind of get a sense of what may go on. And of course, the question that I was asked by literally everyone, and I made a whole joke of it in the blog, is that everybody asked if there would be new songs on this tour. We all know they have been in the studio, they have been recording. We know from Stone in the last week or so that they are not done, but they had a lot of fun writing the record. So that kind of begs the question here. Like, will it happen? And how will it happen? And now, look, 
This being Wednesday the 30th, and I can go in and edit and do a re-edit here if a song has been dropped on Monday or Tuesday, but I don't believe that it's going to happen at this point. But the whole thing that I kind of brought to the table is that, can't deny me, when that got released a couple days before going out and doing the South American tour, that would be probably the way that they would do it. They're not dropping an album right now, but it's safe to say that that aspect of it is probably all gone. However, what do you think about the idea of them debuting something? Well, I would love to see it happen. Obviously, I'm so curious as to what this new record is going to sound like, but I know in in the blog, you had a very definitive answer. You went out on a limb, but I'm going to say probably not. I'm going to say there's maybe a 5 to 10% chance that it happens. I would be shocked if they come out in St. Paul and be like, all right, here's a new song. Because like we've heard them say, you know, they kind of shy away from doing that because they know that everyone's going to get the bootleg and it's going to be on YouTube the next day in poor quality and they'd rather hold it back. But you never know, like Ed might get a wild hair and be like, hey, there might be one song on there that they've fallen in love with and they worked out that they want to preview for people. But I got to think it's a small, small chance. Yeah, when I stated that, I thought that one song would be played. I think it just kind of fell into how I was writing and how I was feeling about it. And I think I had convinced myself that the idea has very good potential, but there's always doubt. But on the other hand, if you don't want it on the bootleg, either don't put it on or put it on the bootleg so everybody will buy it. You know, well, no, like, it's like it's it's everyone's going to pull out their phones and there's going to be a million versions it, of it on YouTube the next day. But that happens with every song, though. You know, that happened with Lightning Bolt when it came out, Yeah, you know, when yeah. they when they debuted it at Wrigley. It's going to happen anyway. So either you want people to hear it or you, you don't. So maybe they get the hankering. Maybe they don't. But another thing that we were talking about was the likelihood that. This being a tweener tour, I I think a lot about 2023 having a lot of similarities to 2008. There wasn't a whole lot of shows in 2008. It was like 14 with a festival or two and a special show at the Beacon Theater, obviously being a smaller venue. But it's kind of the same thing in terms of there's nothing that they really have to promote. Gigaton's been out for three years, so they really don't have to press the new songs if they don't want. But there might be opportunities kind of in the same way of 2008 and even 2016 that they could bring back some songs that they almost never play just for the sake of, Hey, it's been a while since we've done that. Yeah. And not even the obvious ones you think of, like, you know, get right is its own thing. Like everyone's going to say, they, they, Oh, they should play just a girl or whatever. But even some of the lesser known ones, like we, we talked about with no way like that hasn't been played since 2014. A bunch haven't played since 2016, like Around the Bend, Gone. I'm pulling for Marker in this. I really want Marker on this tour. A lot of stuff kind of under the radar hasn't been played in a pretty good while. It'd be interesting to see if they break any of those out. And especially like we talked about with a lot of night ones and night twos, there's going to be some chances to mix it up. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't think they're going a whole nine shows without giving each city something. 
to bring home with them. That happened a lot in 2016. Yeah, Education I mean, on, in the moonlight. Depends on what kind of mood Ed's in on that night. You know, if you get him on one of those crazy nights, you never know what's going to happen. Now, I think we want to mention here that, and we're not going to save this for the encore break at all, because this is important. And what we've been working hard on the whole entire last couple months is really promoting and putting together events and stuff like that. But the big thing is the instant reaction episodes that will be happening right after the show ends. And I would love for as many people to be a part of it as possible here because it's all different perspectives. It's all different perspectives from all different areas in the arena. People will hear songs differently. They will have emotions to songs differently. So after the show, and I know that tomorrow in St. Paul and on Saturday in St. Paul, Kirk Walton is going to be the one you want to get in touch with because he will be kind of running point there and making sure that you have a place. And I think he has a place. I think it's in the Kellogg Center. Don't quote me on that. But if you're on the Pearl Jam podcast community group on Facebook, all of that information will be there on show day, 100%. So make sure that you at least kind of check in or email at live on four legs podcast at gmail.com and we'll give you an update when we can but also that's for patreon too so people that are interested in the instant reaction episodes it's probably one of the best things that we do you're getting the instant analysis right after the show and the only place that you can get it is through our patreon which if you want to donate a dollar for the month and that's all you want to listen to and get out that's fine. That's why we put it there. We put it there so it's available and it's something that the longtime patrons will have that kind of access to and anybody new can have that access to as well. The way that you can sign up for that, patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or you can go to live on four legs.com and press the become a patron button. And it's really important to get that stuff out because it's not like sports where every single game has a post game with interviews and stuff like that. This is as close to that that you're going to get from the Pearl Jam universe. Yeah, it went really well last year. We had a lot of people involved. I know you and I were on hand for a few of them. It kind of got a little bit of a following. We had some good conversations and some good reactions. And, you know, those are still up if you want to, like, go kind of get a feel for what that's like. Got to get back in the tour frame of mind. You can go back and pick one of those and just just pull it up and check it out and, you know, kind of get some of that excitement back going because, yeah, it's, it's upon us now. And you can actually do that with a free trial on Patreon. Now you go through the bonus like tier and you can select that you want to do a seven day free trial of the podcast and you can go in there and you can listen to it beforehand. But we are going to close the free trial until the tour is over. Just letting you guys know that we are going to close the free trial until the tour is over. If you do want the free trial, I would go out there and get on it right now because tomorrow it will probably be gone. All right, let's get back into Alabama. Gotten the world on our shoulders here. And you've been listening to this bootleg. You had this from long, long ago. And this is something that you mentioned last week that you were really, really pumped and excited to get to the show. So why is the show important to you? Yeah, not just the fact that it happened right after my first show. So I was definitely following along to see, you know, you always want to go see what they play next, see like what you missed. But the fact that it like it's in Alabama, there aren't many shows there. It's kind of a unique thing. 
And this show has kind of gone down, I think, is one of the great kind of under the radar shows in their history. You know, this whole week, then the next night in Greenville, South Carolina, too, is excellent. The bootleg is very, very high quality. I remember when I first started downloading the boots, there was a thing called SV. There was 50 of them, and it was SV001 through SV050. And may hope maybe some people out there know what I'm talking about. But we're going to talk like, about Brian and Patrick in a second. Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah. I've mentioned it, I think, one time on the podcast before when we did one of these shows. But someone had gone through ranked the top 50 shows like pre 2000 and this one i think birmingham I, I meant to go back and look it up i looked it up but i couldn't still remember if i was there but i think this might even be like sv like 004 005 it's in i believe it was in the top 10 just a really good show that i think not a lot of people know about and not a lot of people go back to because you know it didn't happen in chicago or seattle or new york or philadelphia or anything but i'm really excited that we get to talk about it i've been looking forward to this one for a long time and as mentioned just a second ago that the other person that's been really really excited to get to talking about it and getting us to do it is our good friend and hallucinogenic recipe co-host patrick vogel he requested this a long time ago and we've kind of put it on the schedule retracted it put it on the schedule retracted it but it was sealed it was glued in with super glue into the schedule this year especially because the 1998 factor and now back when he requested it he didn't have his own program through live on four legs but now he does so here's patrick with brian horowitz to talk about this bootleg and maybe bring up that sv005 that you were just talking about right now so let's hear the hallucinogenic recipe guys take on this Hello, everybody. This is Patrick Vogel, and I'm with Brian Horowitz, and we are Hallucinogenic Recipe, and we are here to talk about September 3rd, 1998, one of the greatest audience tapes, perhaps of all time, certainly in the 98 tour. Thoughts, Brian? You agree with that? Am I being hyperbolic? No, I think you're spot on. I think the good version that's out there sounds great. It's got that nice kind of full audience sound, very pronounced, got a nice boomy bass to it. It's not too echoey or too tinny or anything like that. I agree. It's a great sounding one. Definitely one it's, worth seeking out. That's a great point that you just brought up. We were chatting about this a little bit. There's two tapes of this show, almost taken from the exact same spot, both done with Sonic Studio mics. One was done into a Sony TCD D100 DAT. The other was done via a Sony TCD D7 with cassettes. No slight on the cassette recording because we're always happy to have what we can get, but the DAT comes out incredible. There's only a two row difference between where these tapes were made. The DAT was made row two, stone side. The cassette tapes were made row four, stone side but there's a lot more noise happening. I don't know if it was based on positioning, where the mic was able to be set up for that, but you just get a little bit of a different flavor. That second piece, that cassette, actually gets used to clean up some stuff that was done with these tapes. Before we get into that quick, well, let's talk a little bit about the time frame here. So 1998, particularly post the Yield Tour, is an interesting time because we're going from a sort of tape trading world to a CDR trading world. So your recollection of your experience with getting this show, you had said was much more CDR focused. Yeah, the tour in general, you know, when I go look at my tapes, the last tape that I have, I want to say is 
Berlin 96 is the last show that I ever traded for and got on tape. So, you know, and obviously that that was the end of that tour. They didn't play much in 97, a few shows, you know, the ones opening up for the Stones. But then, you know, you had the three legs in 98. And I'm trying to jog my memory here as to how it all went down. But I know I started trading CDRs sometime in 99. I bet it took me a while to get some of those 98 shows. I think just thinking in terms of where I was in life, too. Like I just moved out to Massachusetts, had a new job. And then I remember buying a CD burner not long after. So probably like summer, fall, 99 is when I started getting most of these shows, with the exception of, I think, that second night Great Wood show that I remember purchasing, I think, off eBay because I just needed it. But yeah, the whole experience changed. It was all CDRs at that point and then digital. I I think this show, the 9-3 show, I ended up downloading probably a torrent a few years later. I don't think I had this one until probably the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's your timing on that is pretty similar to mine. I did get a couple of these shows on tape. That was, though, when I decided, because then I started doing CDR blanks and postage with people. And as I was getting a bunch of the 98 shows on CDR and going into 99, that was when I was like, I've got to invest in this for myself. I need to get a burner so I can grab it all and, and start trading directly and not have to do just blanks and postage and whatnot. Let's dive into a little bit about where this all sort of comes down to from what you were talking about, the downloading element, because that happens quickly too. Once we get into basically post the 2000 tour, we're starting to get into the BitTorrent era. And that was a time frame where there was a project that was going on by Alan Robertson through his website, Black, Red, Yellow. And he was a poster collector, but he also did some work basically compiling shows, doing artwork for those shows and having some folks that had the equipment to sonically improve those shows, mix them. So that was known as the Spaced Vest series. And they all have numbers on them. They all start with SV and then have a, a series of numbers. And I think that he got that up to about 60 something. And this particular show was 57 in the series, which is yep. pretty wild. That's a website I wish that we could point people back to because it's fun to look back to have all of the artwork for that and whatnot and be able to kind of poke through it. But when we think about this show, I have some feelings about it. Like, did you have any sort of like gravitation to this particular show? You had said you came about it a little bit later during downloads. So like, what's your take on your experience with listening to this one? Yeah, I think I, you know, I listened to it in the context of where it was in that tour, right? I think you had Atlanta a couple nights before and then like the Knoxville show afterward. And then my run of show, I did well, run. I did a couple shows. The following was like Hartford and Great Woods. I think the show stands out, A, because the quality, like we've been talking about, but but some of the performances, too. It's just a fun kind of rocking show, right? When you think of, like, those 98 shows, there's generally songs I look for to see, like, let's see how on point they are. And it's like Brain of Jay, Hail, Hail, some other ones. I've always loved the back-to-back -back Corduroy Immortality. I think it's just a, a killer one-two punch there and kind of something I honed in on. I mean, the rearview mirror is kind of spirited as well. It's just, just a good overall show in addition to the recording itself. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, there's a couple of wonderful little like notes that blend out of this. The version that is the best, that second row dat has a little bit of the intro for red dot, color red, whatever people want to call it being played, whereas the cassette version didn't have that. You do get a lot of like upfront vocal and almost instrument separation that comes out of this tape 
too, which is pretty cool. I think the things that made me gravitate towards it were, like you said, that duo of Corduroy Immortality early in the set, very similar to when I saw them a couple of weeks earlier in Cleveland and just love the punch on that. It's also pretty funny because coming out of Given to Fly, they do a little bit of dueling banjos. Yeah. <laughs> which is a, a nice little uh, drop in. Great footsteps in this, a nice faithful, as you said, rear view mirror, a really cool porch. It's rough intro into that, but they do some really cool stuff sonically to it and a nice black end awesome yeah and a nice end they punch out at the end with a great alive black bob o'reilly so highly recommend this one definitely you've got to find this particular version again props go out to bill graham i don't know where he is these days but he was the one that originally did the the transfer of the audio for this alan robertson who did all the artwork for the space vest series but also give everybody big ups if they want to find it. Fred Evans, who you've heard me mention before, he's been doing a series that's housed on the Pearl Jam Concert Chronology.com, and it's got a number of shows. He's got a number of 98 shows in there that he's done some remastering with. And he did this show, and he used the original mixes for this to then kind of just tinker around with the sound for it, and it sounds really, really good. He did some EQ and some volume boost, tried to even out some of the claps and things of that nature, and took out any areas where it's like a little bit of a booming bass. So highly recommend seeking this one out. And this has got my appetite ready to start talking about some more 1998 and some ideas that we've got. Hell yeah. but let's send it back to the guys now. I'm interested to hear what their take is on this show. All righty. Peace out. All right. Thank you, guys. And if you haven't listened to the new hallucinogenic recipe episode, it's up on Patreon right now. It is about the week in November 1995 that they played some of those makeup shows in Salt Lake City and in San Jose and San Diego. Some of the best shows, maybe one of the best weeks of Pearl Jam of all time. So you definitely want to check that out. All right. I think it's time to dig into the show here. We get a version of Red Dot that's playing as the intro song here. And you can hear like the kettle drums and stuff going off. And it's even longer than the actual album track. But they never get to the, we're all crazy. It just keeps looping back to the rhythm and pattern of the song. We don't get that full part. They probably made a special edit of it for the show intro. Do you think that they just didn't want to involve Jack's voice or something like that? Or... Maybe, and and just and that would kind of break it up. I think you want it to be all instrumental when you come out, you know, and that breaks up. You just want something where they're not tied, they're not, don't feel like they have to rush. Just put it on a loop, we'll go and go, and when Ed gives a signal, they'll turn it down. Yeah, that lasted a while until they actually got on stage. Huge crowd reaction, and then just like last week in Pittsburgh, we're getting back to release as the opener.
very similar to last week. Massive builds, extraordinarily passionate. The crowd absolutely erupts when we get to the I'll ride the wave where it takes me line and Ed's voice just growls that and just ascends during that part and it just continues to ascend throughout the whole song and yeah it's kind of the rare combination of ed allowing his voice to soar while kind of giving you that growl at the same time we almost never get that at full capacity but you can tell that he's bringing it real early here and the crowd afterwards very very appreciative of it yeah, I, I love this version of release. It's interesting to see too, you know, we do so many shows from the recent era, the 2010s and everything, where you see the cell phones out and we saw so many of that last year with River Cross and everything, but you get to see release here with actual lighters, like people <laughs> flicking their lighters and, <laughs> and they have the lighters up early on as the, the lights are still off and release is going. Kind of cool to see a little bit of a throwback there and we don't even think of it anymore. But there are some shows we talk about that are like, oh, you know, this is a good Ed show, this is a good Stone show, whatever. This show, I think there's at least three band members that have just <laughs> fantastic nights. I mean, we're going to talk about Cameron so many times on the show. I, this is a, one of the best Matt Cameron shows I've seen in a long, long time. But yeah, him and Mike and Ed, I think yeah, you're spot on with talking about Ed's voice on this. Just one of the best versions of release I've heard in a very long time. So this would usually be where we cut into the Gear Guru segments of the show. The first one was supposed to be released this week, but unfortunately, we are without our Gear Guru this week. He has succumbed to the unfortunate devil of COVID-19 right before a show, too. So we're really hoping you feel better, buddy. And by the time that this comes out, hopefully you'll be en route to St. Paul doing your thing out there. So no segments this week. However, if you are on Patreon, we just did our first ever Gear Garage episode. It's 15 minutes where Javier deconstructs the avocado record. He goes through some of the songs like Life Wasted and Army Reserve, and he picks apart some of the little nuances within the song that maybe you haven't been paying attention before. So it's really good. I suggest you guys go listen to it. And once again, speedy recovery, my man. Let's nip this in the butt as soon as possible. All right, we go into the next section of the set, which is Hail Hail Animal Given a Fly. And just thank goodness that we have such good audio quality for so many reasons. And it kind of feels like the three shows that we've done here, Toronto, Barry was okay, but you heard a lot of the crowd and that kind of took you out of it a little bit. Pittsburgh was better. Pittsburgh, not bad. You can listen to the whole show. I have no problem with that. But I mean, this is just perfect as far as audience recordings go. I'm sure Patrick and Brian talked about it a lot, but the way that Hail Hail kind of flies out of the gate and you hear like specifically Cameron's cymbals ringing out on the intro, that was like a complete different experience than what you heard from the last two shows, that you weren't hearing the nuances within what they were doing on stage. And just having that, I think made this, you said the three guys had such an amazing show, but this enhanced how amazing they actually were. Absolutely, and Cameron on this one especially, the video you see him just like on the edge of his seat pounding, like his wrists are just popping, hitting those beats on this thing, it's unbelievable. There's a filthy fill in Hail Hail, I did want to point out there's gonna be a couple on oh, yeah. the show. Let's go. 
spectacular and again one of the best Cameron shows I've seen in a very long time just again he's got the drumming gloves on it's a whole look but you can see it. it's just insane to watch him so up close and like what a machine the guy is and how he can pull this off just incredible technical ability and power to be able to do something like that and it fits perfectly on Hail Hail yeah it's an excellent version yeah Hail Hail and Animal together I think we saw this a couple of times in the last few weeks it was at least at one of Barry or Pittsburgh that they did them back to back but they are a good tag team when put together that might be like something to do at a later date like songs that that could be tag team partners that was how they started Atlanta the show before too Sure. I, I mean, it's right there. It's right there for the taking. Yeah, Animal shot out of a cannon and just falling up on big time momentum with the ferocity. And Mike absolutely nails the solo in this. I, we talked about it. They were doing something a little bit different when they were doing it in the Barry show that kind of was like, okay, well, I see what they're going for, but it's not that known perfect Mike solo that he has right after that kind of little break before the end yeah he kills it on this amazing but yeah I think given to fly is really the highlight when you talk about I agree the end of given to fly when the solo starts it's the first time you get like Mike and Matt together and as the solo is happening for lack of a better word just beating the shit out of the drum set it's incredible to see and again all for the same reasons i brought up in hail hail but even to another level like the guy's unbelievable you know after listening to a bunch of this era of given a fly like they continue to evolve with it in 1998 which is really cool but the way that i saw this and i think for me mike and cameron are distinctive elements in this but for me i thought it was ed that really stood out and i think it's because the way he's singing it and the way he's really like putting big time power into his voice and elevating the song once it gets into a wave came crashing and and all that he's strong on this and it kind of reminds me of what the song would become much later where he kind of starts to get more powerful as the crowd starts singing it with him and he's trying to match their energy and it feels like a more matured version of Given a Fly than maybe some other versions that happened in this era. This is more of like a 2003-2006 version of Given a Fly than it is a 98 one. Yeah, it does have the slow intro, the pacing that the studio version has, but it does ramp up very quickly. It does not stay at that pace. And 
Yeah, I agree. I think part of Ed finding that in the song is due to Cameron. You know, the way that Jack played it was a little more rhythmic, a little more like in something like In My Tree. And I think the power that Cameron has kind of spurs that on to be like, okay, I, I got to match this. I got to let this go a little bit and find something special on it. But there's also a video screen behind with like a blue sky and kind of clouds going by right to left, I think, as the song is playing, which is a cool visual aspect as well. Pearl Jam does not use video a whole lot, but they had done that a little bit during this era and even 2000 maybe as well. Yeah, they're not video guys. They just aren't video guys like you two or somebody else are. So it is kind of unique to see something like that. All right, maybe the song and the moment that kind of defines what this show is and defines how a lot of people remember this show because they do something here that they've never done before never done since it is the dueling banjos intro into corduroy So Ed puts on a Rickenbacker for this to do the dueling mantra. That's pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's certainly not anything you'd ever expect the band to do, especially in 98 where it's just like, okay, a little less pandering to the local crowd. Like we've seen stuff like when in Boston doing like Dirty Water and doing more local stuff like Running Back to Saskatoon. There's a song, I don't think it's called Running Back to Indiana, but I think Going Back to Indiana, something like that that they played. Who knows, maybe they'll play it in Indy this year, but they've played that Indy before. But this is like that, but it's kind of, again, like given a fly, like ahead of its time that they would do something to like spark the local energy in the crowd. And maybe that's just because they're kind of excited to be in Alabama. It's kind of a new place for them. Yeah, I don't love this. Of course you don't. It's a little stereotypical, I think. Birmingham is a city in its own right. It's a steel city, you know, just as much as Pittsburgh is. It's not like a backwoods redneck area. You know, if they're going to play Auburn or something, then, you know, go for it. But do you know who wrote Deliverance? I got a little fun fact for you. Yeah, I actually don't. (laughs) guy's name was James Dickey. And fun fact, he went to my high school. Really? Yep. That is fun. uh, He may be the only person who hated it more than I did. So a lot of what Deliverance was like probably came from where you grew up. A little bit. It's not something that the school advertised. I think I believe he publicly disowned the school afterwards, but he was there, you know, many, many years before me. So So the end game on that is don't go to Rome, Georgia. Correct. It's a really good segue into Corduroy, and it goes back to the whole idea of Corduroy kind of getting an intro and utilizing intros more in 1998. As we mentioned, Interstellar Overdrive, Beds Are Burning, that little opening thing that they did before Corduroy opening up the Barry show. So they're working with stuff a little bit here, and I wonder if it was just a factor of it's the time, it's the place, and what should we do to bridge from Given a Fly into Corduroy anyway, because those two songs are kind of completely different in composition. 
Yeah, I can see that, but again, don't love it. But the quarter of the song itself is great. Another great Pike performance. The ending is incredible. But the intro, Interstellar Overdrive, is really the only one out of those that stuck around. Yes, but it still kind of defines the era and what they were doing at the time. Now, the thing that I love about this version of Cordero and really the best part of it, Mike had a killer solo, but started a little low than I thought it would because the buildup to that was so massive and the way that Cameron throughout the whole thing, I think he has like two or three fills that are in that. It's, it's like a double or triple filthy fill that he does just in that part. Mike was going to go really high with that, but he decided to go lower instead. It was interesting, but it's a great version. Once again, for me, Matt Cameron is the MVP of the show. Yeah, well, maybe Mike was tired from running around the stage the whole song because that's what he was doing. Well, let's get into Immortality that will follow up with Wishlist. I love in the beginning, within the main riff of the song, you get to hear Stone in the background do something that I rarely you get to hear i don't want to say he's never done it before but he's kind of doing like this little like delay effect with one chord just kind of holding out and it feels like something like kind of warped sound to it It's a very dark version of the song. It does end up at the end feeling like you're getting a lot of this aggression out, but I thought that because of what Stone was doing was probably a key factor into it being a dark version. Yeah, he's the linchpin in a lot of their songs, especially something like Immortality. Like He's got to lay down that foundation so that Mike can just go nuts and then yeah, the jam at the end is a little bit extended and the strobe lights going and it's really, really good. And especially Immortality after Corduroy, like that's a fucking murderer's row back to back there. Immortality coming after Corduroy just builds and builds. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love that ending. And like I kind of said, the ending was taking out a lot of aggression. But going back to Stone, that little kind of light riff that he was doing over Cameron just doing everything at the end it kind of was like getting all the aggression out but stone's little part was the aggression kind of reaching a light and reaching sort of its end like you get everything out there and then you kind of feel better at the end and then wish list following that which is a very positive good mood kind of song is a perfect way to balance that i just thought that that was excellently done in this yeah mike brings the darkness and stone brings the light that's their yin and yang
I love it. So yeah, good balance of moods. Wishlist. I thought the ending to Wishlist was very, very cool because you're so used to kind of the pop-up ending where it does the Ebo, kind of takes it down, but they do kind of the reprise. And in this is more closer knit. And look, we can go back to this show if we're looking at just the evolution of Pearl Jam and what they would do later in their career. Later in their career for Wishlist, they would do more of kind of a sweet sort of improv at the end where Ed would just kind of be there solo by himself singing over something. And it was a really kind of delicate ending. vulnerability i think is a really good term for it because he draws you in and like he's giving you kind of an unfiltered look like he didn't write that ahead of time he just came up with that on the fly and then with the just letting the i wish kind of repeat it's like he can't bring himself to keep going like it's almost too personal and too much yeah i love when he does these little improvs you know we've we've seen it so many times on black but anytime he kind of lets you in like that it's gonna pull you in and make you want more and like he's just letting you in and saying hey i'm a regular guy i have problems just like you he's not putting on some like you mentioned you two early he's not putting on some bono act where you know it's this faceless thing up there it's a very personal very vulnerable thing yeah and this one kind of hit me in all the right spots when he says i wish i could tell my friends how much i really care because a couple days before doing the research for this episode was our five-year anniversary and i was kind of thinking to myself like i felt good that i took the opportunity to do that because sometimes you don't and sometimes it could be too late so i try to be thankful for as much as i can but like that was a nice reminder at the right time that is like that's the right thing to do so i figured i brought that up we got go and daughter back to back go is absolute insanity I think it all kind of comes from Mike. The first solo that Mike has is nothing short of hypnotizing on this. And the rest of the song is going 300 miles per hour. You can talk about what Mike does at the end here too, but yeah, this is some kind of version. Yeah, and how about the Sellis construction too to come out, Hail Hail and Animal early, and then you're gonna go into kind of this soaring section, give them fly, Cormorate Immortality, bring it down a little bit with Wishlist, and then you think, okay, like now we're gonna get to the even flow spot, and then just to come out and punch everyone in the throat with this version of Go. Yeah. It just pops up out of nowhere, and you're listening, it's like, oh my god, like, here's just two and a half minutes of just insanity, like you said, just chaos in the middle of the set here. It's very well done, settlers construction-wise, but yeah, at the end, Mike is going just so hard, he just falls down, basically ends up on the floor, 
playing the end of the solo. Just an incredible visual and incredible song. Love the way it's placed here. I'm glad he said the set list thing because we're going to go into like footsteps and even flow in a second. And that. Footsteps too, the complete way. Yeah. There are a couple yeah. things, a couple other things that are come later too that it's like when you think that you know what's about to happen and then you get the curveball thrown at you, this show has tons of that. Yeah. Tons of that. So I'm glad you brought that up here. Daughter will follow that. And again, we talk a little bit about the vocal runs. And in this time, it's kind of in the form of what I thought was more like whale noises instead of like howls. And usually the whale noises are saved for Mike on black, but that's where we are with this. It sounds like Ed is kind of doing some of those and really just sort of taking it and running with it. But we get two really cool tags here. I really, really like the androgynous mind tag because Ed just keeps chanting and keeps egging the crowd on to chant with him and continues to just pound it home. And I thought that that was a great moment. And then the rare tag of stuff and nonsense falls after that. And what was cool about that, just getting the, I don't know the future, I don't know the future until it just fades out. I thought that that was, again, some real dark moments within some of the light stuff that happens in the show. And that was definitely a dark moment there. Yeah, I mean, Androgynous Mind will pop up now and again. I think they did it one time last year. But yeah, I mean, 98, not a lot of Androgynous Mind going on. They were bring it back a lot more in 2000, but I associated more with like 93, 94, 95, 94 especially. But yeah, I love stuff and nonsense too. I mean, anytime you get anything from Split Ends or anything like that, it's going to be super cool. And what a place to bring it out. Like just a show in Alabama here, you're getting something like that. You know, in Georgia, the previous show, they did a bunch of REM tags. I'm glad they didn't try to tag sweet home alabama or anything like that <laughs> this is definitely more appropriate i like these a lot better i'm surprised there was no alabama by neil young though would that be more appropriate or mm, maybe maybe misstep ed misstep from missteps we almost go into footsteps but he's actually going to finally address the crowd here and once he says hello how are you just gets a massive response the next one goes way back it was written before I ever met any of these guys, and Matt Cameron played on the original recording of the song. It's a sad but old number called Footsteps. So this is, again, Footsteps is in the 10th spot, where it's usually saved for either very early in the set, especially what they were doing last year, or it's like an encore song, where in the beginning of the encore, it kind of lends you to build up to the bigger, faster moments in the encore, but middle of the set here before getting into even flow because you think daughter into even flow that's pretty standard for what would happen in the 90s and footsteps at the time it was only played eight times in 1998 and before the tour even started it was overall played under 40 times so it just seems inconceivable and then when you put this in a spot like this it feels almost equivalent as to like us getting i don't know like some of the songs we mentioned before maybe not as drastic as a get right but something like a marker in the sand kind of song that never ever shows up like this must feel like that to this crowd that they are getting something extremely rare just getting like the end in the middle of a set randomly yeah like what is going on like Again, as much of a left turn as Go was, this is exactly the same thing in the other direction. It's like, what is Footsteps doing here? I mean, I think it's great, you know, 
do it all the time, but it's just one of those things that kind of makes you sit up and like take notice. Okay, like something's going on here. There's a plan. This isn't just a cookie cutter set. Not that Pearl Jam ever has those, but this isn't one where they're just going through the motions or throwing some curveballs in here. But on Footsteps, it's really interesting too because you know it's known for having a little bit more of a bluesy kind of guitar sound to it, especially coming after Daughter, you would think they would really kind of go with a clean sound, but Stone's got a really, really distorted guitar on this. It was really interesting to hear. Not something I've heard from Footsteps before. So even Flo gets teed up by Ed saying, we wrote this one this morning. And yeah, even Flo is happening in the next spot that you maybe would have expected after Daughter, which is very interesting. But yeah, I loved Mike's little kind of interstitial stuff that happens on the verses. We kind of talked about that a few weeks ago, how it's sort of a a warm-up to get to something juicy in the solo. And it's a pretty fleshy solo. It sounded really good, you know? Mike at the top of his game, as he he said, he's one of the primary characters in the show. So even Flow is going to be one of the primary songs. Yep. And we haven't really talked about this too, but... Ed just like kind of shaking and dancing the whole time all over the place on this. There was a couple of songs, I think Five Horizons had mentioned during Go that he was dancing all around. But I noticed the two uneven flow. He's all around getting the crowd going, dancing all over the stage. But Mike kind of brings it down a little bit, gets a little bit quiet after that. And then once it ramps up towards the end, it just gets super fast again. They just rip the end of it. Was it last week that we mentioned that even Flo and Jeremy were back to back? Yeah. Because we get it again here. And Jeremy's going to be packaged together with two yield songs, Faithful and Debrana J instead of the opposite, which happens on the record. But you can tell in Jeremy that Ed's voice struggles a little bit during the Uwo's part. And you can hear him say, like, help me. And somehow he's able to power through it. But I was just kind of interested after that because I thought that, oh, maybe that was just sort of a sign that he had a little bit weakness after that. But I think that was just a very small misstep in this show and not anything that extended to the rest of the set. Yeah, he had had some vocal issues at the Camden shows a few days prior to this. Five Horizons says they didn't do a sound check in Camden because he was resting his voice. So there might have been some lingering issues going on. But at the end, he still sounds great. He's still pushing it at the end there. And then afterwards, of course, since he was having a tough time, he says, good singing by you. And we get good performance of Faithful here. We get good performance of Brandon J as well. And I thought that Faithful, again, that bridge that kind of takes you from chorus to chorus there, very tight, had a great surge and just a lot of energy, a lot of movement there. For me, Brandon J was excellent too. Distorted sort of at the beginning, sort of ringing out was kind of cool. And it's a barn burner like every 1998 version of Brand J. Like, legitimately, you might be able to say, could this be their best yield live song in 1998? And that wouldn't be too tough to prove that. Mm, I would say maybe Given to Fly would give it a run for its money and maybe take the crown, but the it's, only- it's, it's right there. The only reason I wouldn't give it to Given a Fly is that I think there are some consistency issues with it. That Brain of J is consistently like this almost every show it's played. And Given a Fly, as we saw here, not all the versions of Given a Fly in 1998 sound like what we got at this show. If they did, then hands down, that's the winner. But that's kind of why I'm going towards Brain of J. I don't know. Not convinced. But 
this is a good version again stone on this just an absolute incredible melodic fluid solo by stone love hearing this So now Ed's saying, where's my manners? I forgot to say hello. I guess he forgot that he actually did say hello. Did you think he was going to go into mind your manners for a second? I was like, oh, it's going to be mind your manners. I mean, it's so commonplace that he did that that year. Yeah, but we're 15 years too early for that. Oh, my God. Maybe it was on his mind. Like, I got to write a song because I say it all the time. Right. I kind of did a double take. Like, oh, where are my manners? Like, oh, it's mind your manners. Like, that's that's (laughs) in my head. That's like forever going to be linked with that phrase is, Oh, now it's going to be mind your manners. I almost wrote it down on my notes. Yeah. yeah I, I was definitely thinking that that's what he does when he does that, but I kind of knew what year it was. So yeah, 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 I didn't go that far, but Hey, he forgot to say hello before apparently. So nice to be back, which again, he must've forgot cause he's never been to Alabama playing a show with Pearl jam before. Uh, maybe one another time, who knows? But thanks for having us. Not only are we happy to be here, but we're just happy to be. After the night I had last night, just happy to be. And this one is to my friend the Shaman. I was wondering if that was a Pete Townsend shout-out right there. I know Birmingham's only two hours away from Atlanta, and they had a day off in between, so who knows what kind of trouble they got into. Right. Drinking down in the Deep South could do no one no good, so... Better Man, Rearview Mirror, Porch. This is a three-headed monster to finish the main set. Unbelievable. And it kind of goes back to the whole footsteps and go thing. That Rearview Mirror, you're expected to think that, okay, that's great. Set's over, can't wait for the encore, but right away they turn it around and go into porch. Like that's the spontaneous moment right there that you're like, we're just getting more out of this Pearl Jam show than we could ever expect. And I've seen that before when going to shows. And those are the moments where you think that you've gotten something more special than what the normal show is because they're just continuing to push it. They're continuing to push the songs. They're continuing to challenge themselves and go from rear mirror to fucking porch, which both were pretty fucking scorchers. I give them so much praise for that because they're not going to do it in 2023, but in 1998, like they have all that energy and they just nailed it. But before we get into those, I think Better Man needs to have its time in the sun as well. There is a really good filthy fill on Better Man in the same spot that I believe we talked about it last time. starting to really love 1998 versions of this no tag on it the no tags the 1995 1996 versions kind of felt like they weren't attempting at a big time moment for this another sign of these songs maturing and becoming little hints of what we would get much later 
Yeah, it was growing for sure. And each of these three songs could easily end a main set on its own, but to get all three of them together is just unreal. And then to have Better Man be the first one. I, again, I love Brain of Jay into Better Man as well, because the end of Brain of Jay, where it has that little soaring section that comes in, I think is a really good lead in to what Better Man does. And yet these three songs in a row almost never would put together, but. Yeah, Better Man is one that, you know, by the end of 1998, it was starting to be what it was. You saw I Save It For Later coming in and being more prominent, and then it would just be onwards and upwards. But look at this, like, I'm looking at live footsteps here. At this point, they'd only played it 115 times. That's just a little bit more than Hail Hail at this point. Wow. Um, so it, it was not prominent as of yet. Like, And then, of course, it blew up and it has taken over. You don't usually think of it, but back then, it was not a common song that got played every night. No, and it was circulated on radio and everybody knew it and wanted it. And I guess they were starting to realize that a couple years later, especially in 2003, getting out of that mindset of, hey, we can play these songs that everybody knows, the casual fan knows, and it can be okay because everybody's going to share the same moment from the hardcore fans that know the song so well, obviously to the casual fans that might be there and they might know six, seven, eight songs and better man is easily one of them. Everybody's going to share that moment together. And I think after a while they've sort of fell into that category of we can't help it, but play something like this instead of like playing riot act deep cuts in 2003 they were trying to play more of the anthems and that's exactly what better man turned in. All three of these are massive anthems. It's going to be a good evolution episode someday. Someday. All of them will be good someday, but we are (laughs) notoriously lacking right now, guys. And the tour is coming, which means our promised do the evolution evolution episode is not quite on the horizon, but we'll, we'll find a way. We always kind of do. Rearview Mirror kind of kicks off the lyrical flub, but Ed follows that up by saying, I'm not about to give thanks, fuck you, or apologize. I thought that was some nice aggression out of that, but I think it's kind of about the bridge, and it's about Mike getting his sort of atmospheric, chilled out vibe here instead of a big riffy version of rear mirror where matt is driving a big pace and then jeff gets really kind of chuggy on the bass there it is all about mike and sort of just kind of floating like a cloud in the distance in a way sounded really wistful and kind of like lyrical like you mentioned wishless was a little bit sweet at the end 
it was kind of in that same vein for me, like very evocative and not at all like the breakneck kind of power that we're used to hearing from him. But yeah, using this opportunity to be a little more emotional on it was very, very cool. Incredible, fantastic. We're just building off a of better man too at this point. Like rearview mirror is not the appetizer, but you know, you're getting into the main course. It just serves as a bridge to porch, which is next. It's very, very well done. Yeah, I think because Porch is going to end up being so crazy is why they went with this direction with Rearview Mirror. If both of them were like that, then I think you kind of get it out of the way once. And then if you do it again, it's like, yeah, we got two of them, but now we're like tired out of that. And it, lessens the, it lessens the power of both of them. You want it to flow. You want it to be linear and like have it be this journey. And like, yeah, if they're both the same kind of ways, and yeah, I think it, it makes each one not as good. But having rearview mirror like this makes Porsche that much more impactful. Well, let's get into that. Matt plays a little bit of a conga beat for like a second or two that you can hear, and that's going to come back in just a second. The intro for Porch botched but that is not significant for what the song is going to be. I think that every direction in this is just captivating. Matt sounds like he's almost like freestyle drumming in this. <laughs> like he's doing something completely different than maybe what the band is tailored to do, but they're finding a way to incorporate that into what the guitars are doing and from Mike and then Stone just kind of filling in as well like I was listening to this and thinking like I'm in like a laser tag game right now I'm in Space Invaders or something like that it just feels like you're in like a massive video game and all these sound effects are coming at you all at different spots and Stone starts doing this like kind of a jailbreak alarm sort of thing that starts ringing out and this is kind of uncharacteristic for Pearl Jam but it feels along with these strobe lights that are going off here it kind of feels that they are tapping into more darkness with this version of Porch it's all over the place Just totally like winding 
version it kind of goes off in so many directions the total like yes the stone sounds like he's just playing a fire alarm almost and then it gets kind of atonal and a little bit like scronky like stuff that we have heard from rearview mirror but again that they're saving it for porch i think like i said it gives it that much more power that they saved and like led up to it with what came before but yeah and again another what i love here is ed's little improv you can't make out everything he's saying something like you know i was wrong took my hand then he talks about cutting my throat and he's doing another little vulnerable improv here which is very very cool i love these all right that's it for laser explosions and the end is ed going into the crowd and singing on top of the crowd then the song just kind of spirals out of control a little bit it sounded like they really didn't want to end it when it got there there's a very unique and top tier kind of version and that's where we're going to get to our encore right now let's pause for station identification let's thank some people for patreon our brand new patron mar vigil thank you so much mar we know mar we love mar she's great people and she will be writing up a blog for liveonfourlegs.com this tour because she's going to every show. So if you want to follow nice. along and see what she's doing, then check it out. Hopefully we'll see something from her, if not every day, then close to every day, at least every after show day. So we'll have some cool things from her. And also let's thank Matt, who goes by PJ Seattle. That bumped up their donation from the bonus like to Gigaleg tier. That's very, very cool you, Matt. Which means you get an episode to choose in the future. So congratulations to you. Can't wait to hear what it is. We kind of talked about Patreon in the beginning. I won't spend a lot of time on it. But the instant reaction episodes are going to be there very, very soon. As early as Friday morning. And also, as I mentioned, Javier's brand new show, The Gear Garage, with Deconstructing Avocado, which is very good. The hallucinogenic recipe episode is out November 95. Very good. And of course, there will be more things along the way, but we are preparing for a big time month here on Patreon. Again, I'll share everything. Patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or live on four legs.com. Click the become a patron button and join. I appreciate everybody that would want to listen to the instant reaction because that is going to be a really big deal. Now, let's talk about tomorrow. And tomorrow, obviously, we're in St. Paul. So we wanted to try to put together like podcast events for every show that there is. I don't know if we're going to do every single show, but we are doing it for the first St. Paul night. So Kirk Walton, once again, will be hosting that and putting everything together. Show up at Herbie's on the Park at around like four o'clock and that's when the meetup will start and that'll be what's going on in St. Paul. And when Kirk comes by, we'll get to do some live streaming and we'll live stream to the group and we'll get to say hello and kind of get the anticipation and excitement that's coming from you guys right before the first show that they're going to play on this tour. So that is really, really exciting. Can't wait to see all that. Wish I would be there with you guys in St. Paul, but I'm going to live vicariously through you all. And also there, again, the post-game stuff. Kirk will have the details on that. He will be able to inform everybody and get in touch. So if you are interested in kind of sharing your, some of your analysis and some of what you saw after the show, then please meet up with them. And it's going to be great content for the Patreon. And we're going to do that for every single time. So that'll happen on Saturday as well. We have an event for the Thursday 
pre-show in Chicago, and that is going to be at Goose Island on Fulton, pretty close to the venue. So everybody just kind of show up there. 3.30, 4 o'clock, we'll do the same thing. It'll be a nice hangout. It'll be a live stream where we'll get to talk to people and stuff like that. So it'll be a good time. And again, we'll be active on social media letting you guys know when and where we're going to be for certain events. So just wanted to share that with you guys. And I guess for one last time, because this is really going to be the last opportunity to do this, you can go to livefootsteps.org if you want to be involved in our fantasy league that we're doing this year, Jam Duel. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's probably the last chance that you have to do it. So go on there, make sure you're signed in, then you'll see a little tab for Jam Duel at the top. Go in, sign up, pick your team, and then the fun begins tomorrow. So can't wait for that. Can't wait to see how that all unravels. we got about 60 people or so that are involved in the league, which is great. So there's going to be a lot of great competition. So can't wait for that. Before we get into the encore, the last thing I got to say here is that we have added a big ticket item to our raffle that wasn't there before. After our little party that we threw for our five-year anniversary last week, our good friend Alex Sink, who you guys might remember was part of the Barry episode and had some great stories to tell during Barry, he has a great collection of Pearl Jam set lists and other artifacts that he's collected within the band's history. And he was gracious enough to offer up his Madison Square Garden 2016 set list that's signed by Ed Stone, Matt, and Jeff that will be up in the raffle. And if you want to sign up for that, you don't have to be at the karaoke party, which is where the announcement will be made. But... You can still buy raffle tickets. They are anywhere from $5 to $20. $20 will get you 10 tickets. So if you would like to own a signed set list from most of the band, Mike is not on there and Boom's not on there, but two-thirds of the band are on there. And if that's something that you're interested in, then please feel free. Donate to our raffle, and all of the proceeds for that are going to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation in Illinois. So can't wait. That's going to be a big deal. So super cool. Yeah. Again, thank you so much, Alex, because that, yeah, I I would have never even thought about or I would never, ever ask for something like that. So just very, very cool of him. We really appreciate that. All right. Back to the rock. Now we get the full on conga beat again. jumping out from behind Matt's kit and behind the amps and gets in a little groove here, does a little of the conga and then kind of off mic kind of whispers. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. A little shout out for mud honey neighbors and friends that opened up this show. And then he says, overblown. This for tonight is called elderly woman behind the counter in a small state. So let's package small town and leather man in right here. Very heartfelt version of small town and anthemic. Is Alabama really a small state? I think it's pretty big. Um, I mean, in size, but size not. Wise, yeah. Yeah, population. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. 
But yeah, it just felt like a really nice kind of, again, more of a sweet kind of tender version of Small Town than more like kind of rockin' Springsteen-ish ones that you get sometimes. Yeah, I agree. You know, this was very good, and this is very similar to what they were doing the last couple shows that we heard the last couple weeks as well. Yeah. yeah. And Leatherman here, there's a great lyric change. really love that that was kind of out of left field that was fun but it sounded like ed was a little bit hesitant on the lyrics in the beginning got through just fine but you know it wasn't the barry version of leatherman anywhere close sure of course of course i'm gonna be wanting that every time now but no yeah this is good kind of fits in with elderly woman again you're getting a piece side here which is nice for the hardcore fans in birmingham but I would have loved to have gotten Leatherman in Atlanta, but they get it here. And it, again, just something to throw in in the encore to be like, hey, here's a cool little thing for you. But it's heavy hitters it. from here on out. I'll take it. But yeah, heavy hitters do the Evolution and Alive are going to be next. The Evolution is, once again, very power-driving song from Matt. Very much bulldozing down everything that's in his path. And Ed's got the intense growl still going. This one is taken for a ride. But I think Alive is very interesting here because it just goes through another dynamic annihilation from McCready. And yeah, some really fun moments. He does the War Pigs tag, but he's also kind of not like finishing it. He's kind of doing the little first bit, but then finishing it off with something different and then kind of goes back and forth from that riff and a little lick in between. I thought that that was really cool. I liked what Mike was doing here and it's been a while since we've heard a War Pigs tag, so good stuff. playful like he's just having fun with it there's a lyric change in this too he says i'm barely alive i think maybe referencing back to the, the shaman shenanigans that they had yeah exactly <laughs> the night that he had but again getting to the end here and alive just it's a celebration of a great show and mike's just leading up to what comes next i think that's right so another example here the last example so to speak where you think okay alive you're going to get lead better. You're going to get Rockin' or Baba right afterwards, but they throw you yet again another curveball. It's black instead of the other way around. It would be usually Evolution Black Alive in most cases, but black is the penultimate song, which is great because the last couple of weeks we've highlighted it and focused on it so much, and it did deserve that kind of spotlight in 1998. However, this version wasn't the same and wasn't quite in the category of the last versions that we heard. It sounded like there was a little frustration from Ed. Five Horizons has stated that there was some mic feedback, and it was really distracting him, and apparently he had walked off stage to the soundboard and kind of, I guess, gave Brett Eliason some shit, but ended up smiling, so I guess it was okay. But like, it, it felt like 
it kind of disrupted the song a little bit. And then once they got into the solo, they were just kind of putting pieces back together. It had some energy, but in kind of like renewed and, and picked it up again. But some of the pieces were being picked up and it just kind of felt like that little part of what Ed was doing. Maybe they were paying too much attention to that and they were wondering what was going on, but it definitely suffered just a little bit because of that. Hmm. I, I disagree. I think Cameron and Mike together just sound really, really good on this. And I don't think I mentioned too, like off to kind of behind Stone, there's like a little standing room VIP section, almost like what we saw at like Jules Holland, or if you're familiar with like when the bands would play on Jimmy Fallon, they would have like a little balcony kind of over the stage. There's like fans standing in this little area kind of behind Stone. He had mentioned earlier, he's like, oh, I didn't even see you guys back there. But then here he goes kind of over to them and is kind of like talking to them while Mike is doing his solo. I would have loved to know how they got those tickets or how that happened. But this version of Black, I think, is amazing. And this is, I think, the culmination of like everything that Mike was doing throughout this whole show. So you see him during the solo, he's just thrashing around, goes up to the amp, like pushing the guitar on the amp, getting the feedback going, just throwing himself all over the place, really just kind of lost in the moment. And now we're going to end on Baba. And all of a sudden, everyone's wearing these big silver sunglasses. And it's become a party. And there's some things that kind of happen here. There's some stuff going on on stage. So a fan has found their way to the stage. Well, it's like behind. It's not even the stage. It's like behind behind the amps. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. And you're run by on the screen and you're like, what is that? And then like immediately there's two or more following him. It's super weird. But what happens is that I guess from when somebody in security took him down, one of the candles in the background tipped over and Mm -hmm. fell. And obviously that could be very dangerous if something were to happen. They put it back together and it was just kind of like a, a blip in just sort of watching it, but I don't even know if the band even noticed. It seemed like they kind of looked behind a little bit and then were just like, ah, all right, Teenage Wasteland. Yeah, I think the security people took care of it right away, but there's a visual, and I know maybe you can back me up on this, but we had just talked about when we did the Letterman episode for Patreon, we talked about the strokes a little bit. To me here, when you see kind of Ed doing a little bit of a lean with the sunglasses on, he's got the hair. I thought he looked very... Julian Casablancas in this. You can see, I can see Julian looking at his video and be like, that's my look. Like he's <laughs> pulling off the Strokes look a few years before they would. I mean, probably. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know the whole history behind what kind of fan Julian was, but if he was the super fan that he says he was, I bet he was collecting all the boots and finding all the videos and stuff like that. I bet that was the case because he seems like the kind of guy that once he gets really into something that he fixates on it yeah i get get the sense of that so i'll try to see if i can find uh, pull up a screenshot of and maybe we'll post it see what you guys think one of the more interesting posts that'll happen on live on four legs podcast community group this week but hey it ends it with a huge daltry mic swing and tossing the mic will stand over his shoulder over the lighting rig and kind of leaving it there as the band leaves the stage and they left a part of themselves on stage at the show you can kind of tell that they knew once they got out of there that they had done something real good that night absolutely all right we're done which means it's time to pick three so john i'll yield to you 
All right, this is tough. My number three is going to be Porch. My number two is going to be Black. And my number one is Given to Fly. All right, I think we're sharing two of them. My number three is going to be Immortality at this show. My number two, oh, it's so tough between the two. I really don't know what's number one and what's number two in this. I, like, they can share at any moment. But I will say that I think that Porch can go number two, and I'm going to put Given a Fly at number one because it just surprised me for the era. And I think that's a little bit of what the definition of this show was, was that... As I mentioned before, like there was a maturing in the sound that we would see in later years. And I think that Given a Fly is a perfect example of sort of that theme. So now let's give it a rating. Let's see where this lands. All right. I mentioned this earlier. I think this is one of the great underrated shows in their history. And I would highly recommend all of you take two hours out of your week sit down with this video, sit down with this bootleg, really get into it. It's fantastic. I think, you know, we heard from Brian and Patrick earlier. I think we need to do this show justice and I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. And I think you should too. Okay. Here's my thing. I didn't come into this thinking I would. I was like right at a very firm nine and a half and I might still be, I got to sort of convince myself here. So I think that this would have been an automatic 10 if I had been listening to this since 1998. I've listened to the show before, but not in the same fashion that I listened to it here. So I think that once you get that under you and you kind of like get the feeling for what this show is, you can see how special and how important it is. And if this kind of aged with me over time, some shows have. Again, I'm very kind of late in life of like figuring out all the whole bootlegs thing. And that's that's why there is a podcast about this. So it's essentially my journey of learning all of Pearl Jam. But I am going to I'm going to take the bait on it and I am going to give it a 10 because I think sometimes that elevation will be enough to get somebody to really put their focus and get their eyeballs on it. And I do believe this show deserves that from a lot of different standpoints. As I mentioned with Given a Fly and throughout the whole show, it's a kind of a maturing moment for the band in 1998. There's a lot of songs that sound like they would in latter years. And also, the bootleg quality is so top-notch that it's almost impossible to say to somebody like, hey, this is pretty good, but it's not the best from 1998. It's, it's probably a top five 98 show, maybe like a top five if you count a couple well, of the other 90s years, say, you know? I was thinking top three. I mean, you look at Melbourne, you look at MSG on September 11th, and then I think this one's right there. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm convinced. I think I'm convinced. And that's why I am giving it the Hall of Fame distinction. Yeah, it, so. it's, it needs to be there. This is a top 50 show in their history, I think. You know, I think there's at least 51 of those that you've said that about. So I don't believe no. you. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I've, ca- I've, I've, I've taken count. Hold on. Hold on. Let me check my notes. Okay. Oh, 53, John. Oh, you're going to have to take some of those back. Mm, okay. We're going to have to check the tapes. Oh, I know the tapes. 
I got everything up in up in there. I know it all, John. You have okay. You have no wiggle room on this, so something's gonna have to go. <laughs> the extra episode will be on we'll Patreon see. later this week. We'll It'll see. be in lieu of the <laughs> instant reaction episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, with a lot of stuff going on, and you guys all know the deal, we decided that next week is going to be the anniversary celebration episode, and it's coming out a day before our actual fifth anniversary of when the podcast aired for the first time on the 7th, so we'll celebrate that in Chicago. And essentially what it's going to be is we're going to go back and kind of talk a little bit about sort of where we started. But if you were at the anniversary party, we're going to be taking some clips from there because we talked to nearly everyone that was significant in getting this podcast pushed forward. And like, it's not just us that made this what it was. It was everybody and everybody's input and everybody's dedication to it. So we we talked to all of the people that I felt helped the building of this podcast. So we're going to hear a lot of that if you joined our Zoom that night. So you'll you'll know what it is, but there'll be some extra stuff. We're planning on talking to Matt who didn't show up and that will be fresh to a lot of you. So we'll do that. And also we will pick our top five favorite Live on Four Legs episodes. Won't be one per year, but will be interesting to see. Will, will what this the one be on the list? We will see. It won't be on my list. It could be on your list. I'm just putting that out there right now. Some some things have to age for me, for me to be like, oh yeah, that that was great. And also at this point of recording, I haven't edited it yet, so I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I'm sure it'll be fine. So that is the plan. That is the strategy for next week to take off for one week. And then if you guys want to know what's what's going on the week after that, we're actually going to be doing Austin from 1995 to lead into those Austin shows. So that should be very exciting. Been a long time since we've done 1995. Okay. As always, please make sure you're subscribed on the big platforms, Spotify and Apple. Those are the ones to do it on, but if there are anything else that you listen to. That's, that's fine too. Subscribe on there. We don't care where you listen just as long as you do. As long as you know that notifications are coming up. And if you are on those platforms, most of them have opportunities where you can rate the show. And I always say, if you believe that we deserve the five stars, then give us the five stars. It'll help us and our visibility, of course. And we've been doing this for five years now. If we didn't know what we were doing, then I'd say, okay, maybe you can think about a three or a four. But I think we deserve the five stars but right alongside the five stars on apple you can leave us a comment and it's not for us it's for the next person that's looking to listen to a pearl jam show and please right now it's the time to recommend this people are going to be traveling by plane by car it's all over the midwest and they're going to want stuff to listen to so why not gather all of their past shows together and kind of gather up some memories and relive them while they're about to go see the band. I think it's a perfect thing. Like this show, this podcast was meant for people to kind of get hyped for what's upcoming and show wise. So if that's something that you're interested in, we have a huge archive that's on all of the platforms that you can check out. You can go back to stuff from 2018 if you really want, but it's all available for you. We're at nearly 250 episodes. I think Austin will be 250. So yep. Yep. It, it, 
is all available for you guys. I suggest if you want to get the hype, then you want to feel like you're at a Pearl Jam show again, then please feel free. Take it on your drive. Take it on the road trip and suggest that other people do so as well. All right, let's say goodbye for now until tomorrow at St. Paul, where we'll talk to you in the Instant Reaction episode. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. Guys, it's showtime. Enjoy if you're going to St. Paul. Enjoy if you're going to Chicago. Enjoy if you're going to Indy. Enjoy if you're going to Fort Worth. And enjoy if you're going to Austin. This is the best time of year. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Let the shows begin. Yeah.